Welcome, and thanks for joining us for NFCC's Guide Through the Seasons of Mental Wellness. I am your host, Tracy Lehman, daughter, wife, mother, licensed marriage and family therapist, and outreach counselor for the Nick Finnegan Counseling Center here in Houston, Texas. We are here to offer a compass for navigating the development of self, partnerships, parenting, and the general network of connections you build across a lifetime. Welcome. Today, we will be discussing what living single looks like for all of us. How can we be comfortable in our singleness and develop our unique selves in the process? What about after coming out of a long-term relationship? To help me with this wonderful and exciting topic, I have my friend, former classmate, and current colleague, Heather Timmis, licensed marriage and family therapist supervisor. Heather is a licensed marriage and family therapist supervisor. She works at Nick Finnegan Counseling Center as the lead clinician and specializes in trauma and EMDR, amongst other things. Heather is obsessed with all things pop culture and has done her fair share of dating apps before she finally met her fiance. Yeah, definitely. Um, You're accurate in your description. I have always been, I'm an only child. So I think it started there where, you know, growing up, I was always independent and I really made friends, my family. And so it was really easy for me to, you know, not focus on relationships early on. Um, I remember a lot of my friends, you know, even in middle school, were trying to get obsessed with dating and things like that. And I was like, eh, I don't really care. And then I did have, you know, a two-year or around a two-year relationship in high school. But after high school, I really just did not find my person for a very, very long time. I did not really date in my 20s that much at all until the very end of my 20s. Um, I would have casual dates here and there. I went through kind of all of the different dating sites and apps. And, you know, I've seen how that has evolved over the years. But you know, I just, I really liked being able to make my own choices and not be reliant on anyone. And, you know, obviously getting into psychology, I feel like there were some, you know, particular things that made it difficult to date because I would see red flags very early on, or there were certain behaviors or things that I would not put up with. And I was not very tolerant of, um, you know, I remember, just wanting to find the right person. So it wasn't so much that I didn't want to eventually date and have a relationship. And because I, there definitely were times where I really craved that and wanted that. But at the same time, I made my own happiness. I was very focused on how can I live a life with no regrets? So I made sure I traveled. I traveled by myself. I traveled with friends. I did things on my own constantly. I would go to the movies by myself. I would find different hobbies. I'm a big extrovert. And so, you know, I know for some people who are more introverted, it can be harder and they want to find that one kind of relationship because it's easier to have that one person and it's easier to stay recharged that way. For me, I want to explore a lot of different relationships with friendships and I want to be able to be out there and doing things and have events and all that stuff. And so that did make it kind of challenging when I would date people of finding that balance of having that kind of intimate one-on-one time and social time and all of that stuff. 
I would like to think I've gotten a lot better <laughs> now, but you know, earlier in my twenties, that was definitely a challenge. Yeah. I remember actually, I would always admire how you were able to balance things so well, because, you know, as couples therapists, we work with a lot of people who just lose themselves in relationships. And there's so many messages out there about how incomplete you are without a relationship. You know, there's so many fish in the sea if you've lost a relationship as if you need to hurry up and find another relationship. And there's, you'll find the right person one day if you're single, whether or not you want to even, even if you're out looking, you know, my brother-in-law is single and it's a challenge because he is a pretty good single person. And actually the research shows that, and I was kind of, I don't know if I was surprised at this actually, once I kind of put it in perspective of the things you and I both see working with people and couples, but that people who are single in the research are less lonely than people in committed relationships. And that kind of makes sense to me because we put all our expectations into this relationship. Well, now I've got this person, my other half, my life's complete or my life can start or whatever message you've heard about the importance of being in a relationship. You just put all your expectations like I won't be lonely. And then that effort isn't there and that engagement is there and we lose track of our friends. Like I said, a lot of people disappear from their friend circles when they get in a relationship. You know, there's that hibernating phase people do. So it didn't really surprise me that people who are single, who are engaging in relationships all around them all the time, which we need, we need our village, are less lonely than the ones who just have put themselves with one person. Yeah. And actually the research shows if you look at, you know, some of the different categories, single women are the happiest, then married men, then married women, and then single men. And so a lot of times when you're looking at the statistics, like if you split it into, you know, binary genders, then males are actually going to get into relationships quicker. They're going to want to be in relationships faster after divorce or being widowed. You know, they don't stay single very long. They don't want to stay single very long because they enjoy having that companionship. And, you know, for men, I found a lot of times it's harder for them to maintain friendships and to make friends later in life too. So I think they do struggle with really becoming kind of codependent and in this bubble with their significant other. Yeah. It's almost like they're waiting for that person that they can actually be vulnerable with, you know, with all the, I love the film, The Mask You Live In, all about how we raise our boys and men to not be able to have that vulnerability. And so it makes sense to me that it's so hard for men to be able to engage in those relationships. I work with that a lot with premarital, with all kinds. Whenever I encounter a man, they almost certainly struggle with maintaining or if they've had to move, just recreating relationships. So I've seen that also. That makes sense to me. Yeah. And to your point earlier, I think, you know, when you are single, you put effort into networking and having that that support system around you. And that becomes very valuable. So I think, you know, if you are able to balance that and the relationship, then that's the best of both worlds. But if you struggle with that, then you really miss out. You know, I think that's one thing for a lot of my older clients or, you know, friendships or whatever that I see that, um, you know, they, they struggle with having that network because they probably have moved or different things have happened. So if they're getting divorced or widowed later in life or chose never to marry, you know, sometimes it's harder for them in those later years to find that support network. And that really makes the difference of if you're going to feel that loneliness and isolation or not. 
Yeah, I see the same things. And it's so interesting because the research is showing that more people are choosing to remain single longer. People get married later. People seek out relationships later. And then, yes, divorce happens through all of those things. They choose afterwards. Do I want to have another relationship. And what I found a lot, you know, like I remember my grandmother when my grandfather passed away saying, and I'd be like, you know, you could get back out there. Cause I was still in that mindset of, oh, we need a relationship. So we won't be lonely. She needs to not be alone. She should go find another partner. And she was like, don't you know the concept of I've had my one true love? It took my breath away to hear that, you know, and I loved my grandfather dearly. It was just such a special thing, but she was fine and she was happy and she was connected and she had a community and made friends and did so well. And so it really just calls into question because, you know, there's this history of, you know, women are women were property. You have a a dowry, you, you know, get sold to a husband and the then you're now his property. and, And this is where your worth comes from. Yes. All your worth is in a relationship. And it's funny. My grandmother actually was the same way. She had the love of her life. And when he passed, she did. She never you know, dated or got together with anyone and had no interest in it and was perfectly happy. You know, she would share stories about him and kept him very fond in her memories, but she didn't feel like she needed somebody else after that. It's interesting too, because, you know, I saw that. And then also my parents were high school sweethearts and they've been together, you know, for a very long time. And so I've seen what a successful marriage can look like. And so, you know, it's almost interesting that I didn't have that. I need a relationship mentality, But again, I think being able to surround myself with friends and and things that I cared about. And honestly, I feel like the difference, maybe not the difference, but one of the things that is kind of unique to me is I am very focused on like the tiniest things make me very happy. Like if you give me a piece of bubble wrap, I'm going to be super excited. And like, you know, so being able to seek out those things that are going to bring me contentment, whether it affects anyone else or not, like I don't care if it brings me happiness, it has worth and value. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. Yes. Yes. I feel like so many people go into relationships to be happy instead of knowing how to be happy. And the truth is, and you and I know from practicing that nobody makes you happy. You figure out what you need to be content and satisfied and have joy in life. And you seek it out on your own or communicate it. And That's another one of those misconceptions that's been passed down. Like you need a man to be happy and men need a woman to take care of them as if a man can't take care of themselves. You know, it's just, there's so many mentalities and stigmas around being single or choosing to be single. Why would you ever choose to be single? You know, why? Of course you're looking for a partner, right? Oh, you're never, you've never been married. And then maybe your head says, I wonder what's wrong with you. What baggage are you carrying? You know, there's just so much stigma out there. What advice do you have for navigating these comments and beliefs around single, singlehood or singleism? And how is this misconception damaging to people whose focus is not on dating? Well, I think one, in general, everyone needs to stop making assumptions. (laughs) You know, stop assuming what people need in their lives, what they're happy with or not happy with. Have conversations you know, really figure out if your single friend is happy, if your, you know, son or daughter is happy in being single. But I think for, if you are the single person, I think one, you will hear those messages a lot. And so creating a little bit of a, of an armor to, to see like, Hey, 
just because they think this is what I need, that doesn't mean that that's accurate. And I think being able to be firm in who you are and why you're making the choices you are, like doing that self-exploration is going to be the most important thing. Because if you're just kind of floating around and going with the flow, there's nothing wrong with that mindfulness and being in the present moment. But when somebody throws a comment like that at you and you haven't really thought about what's important to you or what you value, that could really damage you. It could be hurtful. It could make you question yourself. I mean, I know I went through those moments of, I well, and especially I feel like being in the South and not to super overgeneralized, but I do think it's culturally normative to get married very young. And so, you know, I had, when I was 24, that I went to six weddings that year of close, close friends. And so after that, I mean, 24 is so young looking back, but at the time that seemed to be the norm because it was happening everywhere. And so there were times after that, that I was like, well, why did they all get married so young? What is wrong with me? Or why didn't I find my person? And those, those messages get damaging because they make it make you question something that's not wrong with you. You know, you can make the choice to be single or you can make the choice to not date people that don't fit what you're looking for, you know? And I think there's also this message of having to change yourself. You must be doing something wrong. I was listening to a podcast on this today and They were saying how these messages of like, you're too independent, you're going to be too much for a man, you're too much for him to handle. And how that message is damaging not only to women who have to like make themselves more meek or dependent or whatever, but also to men to say like, you can't handle a strong woman. Don't we want, and and when they said this, it reminded me of my brother-in-law again, and I'll, I'll say what he says. It's like, you can't handle a strong woman, don't want a strong woman, but then you know, that neediness and that nagging stigma comes out of relationships. And it's like, well, what do you want us to be? And what do, what are we supposed to be? Do we get to be who we are? And then on top of that, so my, my brother-in-law is a good example of this and he's probably gonna kill me for harping on him so much, but he has a really good mindset. He is very progressive about dating and he just has a really good mindset. And people will say things to him, like, for instance, he doesn't, I don't want to share too much about him without his permission, but just certain things that he does or doesn't do or how he keeps his house or how he goes out or who he socializes with just like commentary of, don't you want to have like more business looking clothes or don't you want to have this or that, you know, so that you can find a woman or so that a woman will want you. And he's like, if that's, what's going to make a woman want me, then that's not the woman I want. And let's not, and he's kind of like, let's not categorize all people under this umbrella. Let's say there's going to be a woman out there for me. When I find her, that'll be good. But for now I will just do my thing. And he's so happy. He's found so many joys. He has so many interests and hobbies. You know, he is living his life. Well, and that's such a damaging message in itself of needing to change yourself to attract a partner. I think this goes into why so many women feel like they have to lose weight before they get on a dating app or why, you know, you have to pick up your partner's hobbies and pretend that you're interested in stuff that you don't care about just to attract that mate. And that's ridiculous because think about the message that sends. If you start dating somebody and five years into the relationship, all of a sudden you're like, you know what? It's not really working for me to pretend I like golf anymore. I'm going to, you know, make this known. Well, now your partner feels kind of blindsided because they're like, I thought this was the truth the whole time. Like, where did this side of you come from? You know, you really need to be who you are from the very beginning. 
because you want to have that authentic journey together to have that chance to grow as a partnership. Because if you're going in trying to change yourself at some point, that's not going to be maintainable. You know, it's going to be a problem. Yes. And long-term, there's no way to keep all of that. There's no way to be someone you're not. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing somebody's done it, but I can't imagine the pain and struggle they went through to just pretend they were somebody they're not for a year. And we get into marriage, you know, or long-term partnerships, hoping that's the long haul, hoping that's it. And to go into it with this mask on just seems so damaging to the relationship, the longevity of the relationship and to ourselves. Like, don't we want to be accepted for who we are? And are we accepting ourselves for who we are? Yeah. And if you don't know exactly who you are yet, that's okay. You can figure that out. That can be a parallel journey while you're dating somebody, but you know, it's trying to figure that out and getting that confidence in who you are, because if you're not living aligned with your values, then there is going to be this unhappiness that creeps up in the background because something doesn't feel genuine or, you know, locked in with you. And I think that's also part of why people who are living single and and accepting of their singlehood, they're so much less lonely and so much more happy because they're engaged in figuring out who they are and what they want and what their passions are and less focused on trying to fit a mold to make something happen that yes. will probably damage them more in the end. When you talk to people who are single, you know, so many of them say that part of the appeal of staying single is being able to make your own choices on a whim. You don't have to share the bed. You get to eat at midnight. If you want, you get to, you know, do go on a trip with zero notice. You don't have to let anyone know anything. You don't have to ask for permission. You know, it's these, these kind of freedoms that people think that, you know, drive a lot of that joy, but at the same time, you know, for those people, it's also okay to have those needs in a relationship too. You know, obviously there's going to be some compromises, but ideally, you know, the healthiest relationships are you both have your individual identities and then you have a couple identity and then family or parenting or whatever else. But like all of those things need attention and energy. And so that doesn't go away when you're in a relationship, but it is, you know, focusing on verbalizing your needs and being able to tell your partner, Hey, I need some alone time, or I'm going to go out with the girls by myself, or I'm going to, you know, spend time with my family and it doesn't always have to be with you. And that's okay. And learning to be okay with, you know, that's another part of singlehood is learning to be okay. If you do find somebody who's independent, which most of us, who doesn't want somebody independent in my opinion, but, you know, being able to let them go out and not need to give permission, not need to feel like insecure or that that's a a mark against you from them because they want to go out. We all have to fill different buckets, like you're saying. Yeah. And if you are so focused on, I will never be able to be in a relationship where, you know, I could have these things like being able to go out on your own and have that time with friends, then either that's coming from an insecurity of feeling like you didn't see that modeled in relationships around you so that there must be something wrong with that, or that you are in a relationship where you don't truly trust your partner. And so there are other issues going on beneath the surface. If you feel like you can't meet your own needs and then talk to them about it. Yes, absolutely. So kind of, I want to kind of 
switch the direction just a little bit, but when you've worked, because there's so many different reasons people can be single. Like I said, you can just have never married. You can, um, or you could have just never found, we don't even have to be married. You could just have never decided to get into a long-term partnership, or you could have gotten into a long-term partnership that didn't work out for any number of reasons and that dissolved, or, you know, you could have tragically lost them in some way and be a widow or widower. What have you seen with working, you know, with people who are single through, you know, across the lifespan? What do you think the main concerns are facing single people today? I mean, I think one that we've already talked about is acceptance of, you know, having to fight for their choice and having that acceptance from people around them, because it can feel very exhausting trying to put up that boundary constantly of like, all these people trying to hook you up with somebody or, Hey, surprise, I invited you to this event and this single person is here. You guys should talk, you know, those kind of setup situations I think can be really challenging. Um, I think as you get older, one of the challenges is feeling, I guess, security in certain ways, because there's a lot, like a lot of people in the older, like say 60s, 70s, 80s that are single start to worry about health concerns, start to worry about if something happens to me, will my friends truly be there to take care of me? I'm not going to have anyone to drive me to those appointments. I'm not going to have anyone to keep track of my health or things like that. I've seen people stay in toxic marriages due to that reason alone of I I know I have cancer and it could come back and what happens if, you know, I don't have a partner around or things like that. So there are some of those security worries just about health and stability and things like that. Another big one is finances. Um, A lot of people worry if they don't have that dual income, if they don't feel like they make enough for themselves, you know, am I going to be able to be okay not having that second income? And most of the time, yes, it's just about finding that balance and finding, you know, how to budget for yourself and what you truly need to live the life that you want to. I've heard that too. I've heard that a lot about the fear of who's going to take care of me or, you know, I don't want to be a burden to my kids. So I can't leave this marriage or I don't want to hurt my kids. But um, mostly that whole loss of support, that loss of in the future, I'm older and what, who will take care of me. And, you know, knowing, knowing that I think it's important to remember to cherish the relationships outside of your long-term relationship as well. Like we've been talking about those friendships that women have just been taught to be better at. We've just been put in a a system that gives us rewards for being nurturing relationship oriented people and men aren't given the same kind of support. And so, um, I think just making a village, creating a village, looking out for people. I think they said, you know, it's approaching like 25% of people are choosing or are currently single or choosing to be single. I hope that our system evolves to incorporate that idea and mentality more because there should be more resources for people who don't have a spouse or need, you know, again, somebody to drive them to a doctor's appointment or need support in other ways. I don't feel like our system and our communities are really built for that, unfortunately. And I feel like that's a detriment because again, you shouldn't have to be in a relationship to have that security. Absolutely. I a hundred percent agree. There isn't anything set up. The family unit is supposed to function independently and you're rewarded for being part of the family unit and you are penalized for not being part of one. 
So I agree with that a hundred percent. The other big thing that comes up for more of the um, late twenties and thirties single people are, especially for women and, and men too, but especially for women is having kids. And how does that, if that is a goal, whether marriage is or not, or long-term relationship is or not, how does that fit into kind of your life cycle and timing? Because I know that was something that, you know, me and my single friends talked about a lot was that is something that's such a priority that we want to be mothers. We want to be parents And what happens if we don't find our person by age 35 when everything's a geriatric pregnancy or if you aren't able to find somebody who wants kids or they have already been divorced and have older kids and then you meet them and they don't want kids anymore. They don't want to start over. And so there's a lot of that concern that I think drives people to get into relationships, whether they're actually looking for that or not. So I think that's another big concern we haven't talked about. Yeah, I agree. That's actually a really good point. And something I did want to bring up is, well, A, the stigma in our society says to raise children, you need two parents. That is the idea. If you are a single parent, there is so much judgment out there about what happened. Not if you're a divorced parent. There's a little less judgment now in days to divorce. But if you are a single parent, so much judgment is placed on you. Even like if you want to adopt you know, a lot of single people are not even eligible based on their criteria, which again is ridiculous because isn't a loving home better than no home? Like it does not make sense to me why that would be a turnoff. As long as again, like they have resources and support, that should be totally fine. Thankfully for women, I don't know, thankfully, I should say, luckily women can actually go and, you know, pick a sperm donor and have in vitro fertilization. It's a lot harder for single men who want fatherhood, but haven't either haven't found that relationship or just not sure they do would do well in a relationship. You know, they're just choosing not that, but they still want that experience of fatherhood and of raising their own child. And that gets lost a lot. It's like only women want to raise children. Only women want to have children. There's so again, I think there's such a stigma around men wanting to be fathers and again, like not being in a relationship, well, what's wrong with you? Or like, how are you going to do it? If you don't have that maternal figure, all that stuff, it's so damaging to men. We don't, we don't give men a chance to be who they want to be. I feel like it's starting to slightly get better in certain ways. I think, you know, the way a lot of relationships have developed to have more equal partnerships where, you know, everyone is helping with everything I think is helpful, but I still think there's so many stigmas that they have to fight against. Stigma is so damaging to so many different facets of life and especially around singlehood and what that means and says about us and who we are. And sometimes stigma can, you know, the way we treat, we do this a lot with children, right? Our work with children is the way you view your children, the adjectives you use around them become who they are. And that happens to us too. Slowly, these things seep in. You have to think about the damage you're doing and the assumptions you're making and really call them into question. Really be curious about your friends who are single instead of going off afterwards and talking about, oh my gosh, we need to set her up with someone or set him up with someone, you know, really think about what's leading to that. And so my next question is, how can we, who maybe live in this stigma, how can we honor our friends who do choose to be single who or who are single? 
I mean, again, we've already talked about not making the assumption and having that conversation with them to see where are they at? Do they want to stay single? Is that an active choice? Is it they want to find somebody, but they haven't been able to? Is it they've done the dating thing and they just want to take a break? Is it they want casual relationships instead of long-term? You know, really trying to figure out what that looks like first. Second, I think it's really trying to remember to include them at some point, especially like later on in life, a lot of things start to become couple friends oriented, I guess, making sure that you do have those times where you are hanging out without your spouse, you know, and going and inviting your single friends to go to dinner just one-on-one or in smaller groups, because it can feel, you know, that third wheel or fifth wheel or whatever, you know, it's not going to feel that way every single time. But if that's the only way you see them is you always bring your spouse it can get a little frustrating. And so I think one, making sure that you invite them to things in general, whether it's couple related or not, you want them to feel included and you want them to feel that you are valuing their friendship. And then two, making sure that again, you hang out with them outside of your own relationships. So it's not feeling like I'm always being tacked on to somebody else's time. Like the afterthought or the like person who's just invited because they're pitied. Yeah, that doesn't feel good. It won't ever feel good. And then I think the other thing is just using more encouraging language and not asking the questions over and over, you know, what does your relationship look like? And how, why haven't you found anybody and all these things, you know, really trying to not shame anyone for not being in a relationship, encouraging them in whatever they're looking for and needing. Yes. And really thinking about taking a step back and thinking about how are you valuing people? How are you valuing these people in your lives that it bothers you so much that they're not in a relationship? Do What do they have to offer outside of that? We all have things to offer and it's not our spouse. It's not our boyfriend or girlfriend. You know, we give each other different things and that's so important. I love those stories and I don't have a lot of men ones, but there's a lot of stories of women who just were best friends and just, you know, even when they became widows or were divorced or anything, they just like remained friends through it all. And at the end, they had each other. They were there for each other. I love those stories because relationships are more than just marriage relationships are everywhere. I do want to just go back to, because people do unexpectedly become single and take a while. Sometimes it takes a while to recover. Even if they do still want a long-term relationship, sometimes the damage of getting out of one is it takes a while to recover. And so what kind of self-work would you say is important or what advice would you give people that they're walking this life by themselves right now and by themselves in a sense of romantic partnership? Because like we've already said, villages are important. Friendships are important. Family is important. We have support systems. It's not alone alone, but walking in, in the single world. Yeah. I mean, I think one is just being able to be able to sit with your own emotions. You know, there's going to be times where it does feel lonely or it does feel isolating especially right now during this pandemic, I think a lot of people have really struggled in wanting to attach to others because thinking about being single and living on your own, that could, I mean, during this thing, it is completely isolating because you physically cannot go see your people. So that's been, you know, challenging for a lot of people, but even just, you know, in regular pre-COVID times, that was, that can be a challenge of, if it feels uncomfortable, we want to avoid it. We don't want to sit with it. We don't want to experience it. 
So if there's those feelings of this doesn't always feel great to be single, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, being able to sit with those feelings. And I think being able to do some of that work in exploring hobbies and in exploring interests and in exploring what do I like and what do I not like and separate from any other person. So just because my parents liked this or my you know former spouse liked this, or this is something we did, do you really like it for you? Or was that something that was just something you went along with or something that you saw and it was modeled for you. Um, so really kind of taking a step back and almost starting at square one, like what are my values? What are the things that I really care about and that drive me? What are the things that I do that give me energy? You know, we do so many things that take away energy and that we expend a lot of energy finding the things that give us energy, whether that's again, like an interest or hobby or helping others or volunteering or, you know, whatever it is that you can find, but what gives you energy back. And then it's really trying to figure out how can you speak kindly to yourself? How can you build yourself up internally? How can you shift your own mind into being that compassionate, nurturing place where you can give that to yourself instead of looking at that from a partner, you know, so you don't have that codependency on somebody else. And then I think it's just about getting confident and going into the world and doing things on your own. You know, if you're not willing to go to the bathroom by yourself, go to a movie by yourself, you know, start there, start small, but then really build up to it. Like, I honestly think every single person should take at least one solo trip in their life just to really be able to experience making their own decisions and not having a safety net. You know, I think it's important to take risks and to see that you can handle it. Yes. I love that. Yeah. And that's something I've never done. I've never done a solo trip or a solo movie night. Uh, I know so many friends. I remember them going to the movie. I had one friend um, high school and college, and she would always go to the movies by herself because she's like, why do I need to sit next to somebody to watch a movie? Like it doesn't, I'm not going to talk to them. I'm watching a movie. And she, and I was like, that's so weird, but it's not like, there's something to that. There's something to, I can sit in a movie theater around other people and watch a movie. You know, I want to add to that, that life is full of experience and experience evolves us. Whenever we switch out of a role or a position, it's really good to reevaluate. Kind of like what you were saying, it's really good to get to know yourself again. Empty nesters do this all the time. What is my role? Who am I now that I'm not a mom? Or who am I now that I'm not a dad? Or who? And you're still a mom and dad, but just looks differently. These kids aren't in your house. But who, like divorced parents, who am I now that I'm not a wife? Who am I now that I'm not a husband? We move out of these roles and then we have to refigure out who we are and what we like. And it might look different than what we liked before and what we felt before. And so I think that's important to note also. And then one thing we haven't really talked about, well, we touched on it for a hot second, but um, thinking about the messages that we're giving to kids about relationships, because I have like middle schoolers that I see in therapy that are already saying, I'm never going to find anyone. I'm going to be single forever. And this is horrible. And my life is over and all these things. And I'm like, you are so tiny. Like, no, this is not, this is not true. And also like that is not the most important thing. Like really trying to figure yourself out and building that confidence in a time that is really unstable and really overwhelming, you know, and I think a lot of it comes from 
peers for sure and how they're talking about things. But also a lot of that comes from parents and caregivers and extended family who talk about relationships and the way they put a focus on that. So I think being mindful of not only how you're talking to your single friends, but how you're talking about relationships around kids and what you're modeling for them about relationships and what's important. 100%. And, and paying attention to the media they're exposed to and, and making sure it's diverse and they're getting lots of different messages, not just kind of the rom-coms or all the kitty shows like for kids older than I want to say five are about like crushes and relationships and kids coming home and saying, that's my boyfriend or that's my girlfriend. Obviously, most of the time don't know what that exactly means, but just already it starts with that that value of myself is over somebody being my boyfriend or girlfriend of me having that partnership and kind of helping. I thank you so much for bringing that up. I think that's so valuable and important for people to hear. Yeah. And if you can establish that when they're adolescents, you know, the more likely they are in their early twenties and thirties to be able to be confident in who they are and look for that healthy relationship and wait for it. Cause I know even myself, I was in, you know, a pretty toxic relationship and I stuck with it longer than I actually wanted to and consciously knew I was doing it because it felt better in that moment to have somebody to go do stuff with. And I continue to make that choice. And I know a lot of people get into relationships that are not healthy for them and they know it because they don't want to be alone or because they're scared of that. So if we can really build a community that is focused on being okay with yourself and being happy in everything, then those toxic relationships are not going to be appealing anymore. Yes. And toxic relationships will happen, I think, a lot less when people are okay with who they are first. Yes. Is there anything else you want to say about singleism or singlehood that we haven't covered? I feel like we've pretty much covered most of it, but I wanted to check in before because I feel like we've done a pretty good job talking about this today. Yeah. I mean, again, I think everyone is different and there are going to be different reasons behind why people want to be single. It could be that, again, they haven't found their person they're looking for. It could be because it feels good to make their own independent choices. It could be because they grew up in a household where they saw very toxic relationships or abuse or things like that. It could be they're just working on themselves and they don't see the need for somebody in their life right now in that capacity. But I think, you know, just remembering that you get to make those choices for you and it doesn't matter what society says. It doesn't matter what friends or family believe and it doesn't matter, you know, what the expectation is. Your expectation can change. And I think it's really important to value yourself and to really do that self-work, which I know we already said, but I think it's just important to reiterate. Yes, absolutely. And just recognizing there's no all men want this and all women want this and everything needs to be this way or that. We're all unique. And I think we're seeing so much differentiation in society now because people are finally able or feeling a little more freedom, a little bit more movement and accepting who they are and what they're about. And I also wanted to say that singleism which is the term for people living single, is getting more attention now too. And so I wanted to give some resources out there. There is an author named Bella DePaulo. She has a PhD from Harvard and she writes books about singleism. So she has some books like Singleism, Singled Out and Alone. And then there's also a fantastic podcast by... Shaney Silver called a single serving and they have a Facebook group as well. So if you're, if you're single right now and you're not, 
you are or you aren't looking, it doesn't really matter uh, for something else. That Those are some excellent resources if you're struggling with that. So I want to thank Heather so much. Thank you so much for coming on and talking with us about this important topic. And we will see you guys out there next time. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of NFCC's Guide Through the Seasons of Mental Wellness. Please let us know your thoughts by leaving a review and subscribe if you want to hear more of our content around managing mental health across the lifespan. If you would like to learn more about our work, events, and organization, please follow us on Instagram at Nick Finn Council or on Facebook at Nick Finnegan Counseling Center. NFCC is here because counseling matters. Special thanks to Jim Roman for composing our wonderful intro-outro music. Until next time, remember to make time for your mental health.